Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here this morning, or whenever you're watching or listening, uh, for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer on God's Word, prepared here for this congregation uh, in Sherman Center, that we would pray together, confess together, sing together, um, and of course study God's Word together. So, um, but we're happy to have whoever would like to join us, of course, for that. And as we work through, I think what is uh, helpfully complementary um, for the one-year Sunday lectionary, and then we have a three-year series of daily readings. All right. Uh, now you could go the other way, I suppose. I don't know if it's more or less effective. I think it's probably less, but um, you could have a three-year set of Sunday readings, and then follow, say, the Treasury of Daily Prayer. Where is that? On my back shelf back here, Treasury of Daily Prayer. Uh, which is a one-year cycle of readings um, to go along with the three-year cycle of Sunday readings. Um, this is the opposite. So one-year cycle of Sunday readings for repetition, and then um, a three-year cycle of daily readings. And uh, let's see. They're still doing lots of work here. We've got all the ceilings open everywhere. They're going to need to work in my office here after I'm done. So um, the wiring is being done throughout the building. This will provide uh, a lot of advantages for us as far as being able to uh, consider other technologies for like telephone, uh, cameras, Wi-Fi, be able to um, everything hardwired that um, is mission critical and uh, replacing old wiring, reterminating, moving all the equipment into a common location so that it's uh, more easily serviceable and whatnot. So it's really a, a big project, but uh, opens up a lot of possibilities for us as far as technology goes uh, for both security, safety, and um, and also just connectivity. So. Uh, there was a question in the chat, let's see this, yeah, on Facebook, about the title frame, and the question is, is Judas in the top right? And I would suggest he probably is. I don't, I'd have to go look again where I got this, but the um, the artist clearly depicts Judas as looking at the ledger and not paying attention uh, to what's being said. His eyes are downcast. I think, I think that's fair enough to say. All right, so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence... Um, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, our psalm for today is Psalm 103, the first 13 verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns your, you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay, memory verse, 1 Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Christian questions and their answers is our catechism for the week. We say it. First, the, the question, what should we do when we eat his body and drink his blood and in this way receive his pledge? Answer, we should remember and proclaim his death and the shedding of his blood as he taught us. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Question, why should we remember and proclaim his death? Answer, first, so that we may learn to believe that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God and man, could do that. Second, so we may learn to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. Third, so we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him be saved. All right. The first reading today is from Isaiah 25. So we had 24 yesterday, 25 today and tomorrow. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth, for you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in distress a refuge for the, from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. Beautifully poetic, isn't it? I think if we, hadn't, uh, if we, if we weren't in Ezekiel, you know, uh, Isaiah would be a good place to go. But Isaiah gets a lot of attention. Um, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, not so much, even though they're both considered major prophets as well. So, with that, our continuation for reading for catechesis is from Matthew chapter 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. 
Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Okay, good. So uh, remember, yesterday we had um, two blind men healed, and then Jesus went on along the way, and there was the demon-possessed man who was mute, right? Remember, Jesus cast out the demon, which loosed then the man's tongue, because it was the demon that was causing this muteness, and to which then the man confessed Jesus, um, his name, right? Cried out for mercy, right? Became a believer, ultimately, God willing, right? And then you remember the Pharisees reacted to that. Um, they said, this man cast out demons by Beelzebub, right? Well, that's what they'll say later. Here it was by the ruler of demons, right? And then Jesus went about the cities and villages. So that's our context. So the first reaction of Jesus to the Pharisees saying that he cast out demons by the ruler of demons was to go into all the cities and villages, teaching, preaching, and healing. (laughs) So, um, yeah, look at... (laughs) It's a strong contrast, isn't it? This ruler, this one who works for the ruler of demons is going about healing and, te- and um, preaching and teaching. Mm. And uh, of course we know why, because it says here, Matthew records, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, um, his gut, inward guts were, were moved, right? He had the churning of the stomach, if you like, right? That's what that word compassion uh, means, actually, literally. So it moved with compassion for them. Why? As we heard on Sunday with the parable of the lost sheep, right? They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And so he's going to gather them together. Of course, this is connected then back to earlier in the chapter, chapter 9, where um, the two blind men, what did they call Jesus? Not Lord have mercy on us, but son of David have mercy on us. Remember? This was uh, just yesterday. So son of David, of course, David being the shepherd boy, right? the youngest of the of the sons of um, Levi. No, not Levi. What's his father's name? David. Oh, I just lost it. He'll come to me. All right. And of course, uh, the Lord is the shepherd, which is what David himself says in Psalm 23. And Jesus uh, affirms that in his own teaching, especially in John. You think John chapter 10, right? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Uh, another comment Jesus makes in the context of this going about all the cities and villages is he says to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're going to hear that again tonight. Oh, yes, sons of Jesse, thank you. Um, so so it says in the chat. We're going to hear this, re- this reading again tonight in our divine service. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right? And that's in the context of St. Peter and St. Paul, which we'll be recognizing tonight. That's tomorrow's feast day. Right? And... Uh, of course, what is the harvest? Later on, Jesus will be even, I think, a little bit more explicit. Matthew uh, t- 13. Let me find that. Put it in the wrong field there. Yeah, with the parable of the wheat and the tares. That's a good example, right? Kingdom of Han- heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field, but why, while he slept, and his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So at the end, let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them and gather the wheat 
into my barn. Right? Now we know this is a parable of the kingdom. He's talking about what? The crop that will be raised up by the sowing of the seed of the word. Right? So we're talking about the gathering in of, of believers who are made believers by the preaching of his word. Mm-hmm. And of course, also the rejection of those who don't believe right? will happen at the harvest, the last day. So then the laborers, uh, we'll see that like in verse 10, right? a worker is worthy of his food. Right? So the laborers earlier, you see that sandwiched on either side of the naming of the laborers, who are the 12 disciples, right? Yeah. Will, and those are the first that will be given to preach the gospel, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is here. Your Messiah, Savior is here. Um, later then, they will delegate that same authority uh, upon the church, right? As they've been um, authorized, so then they will authorize others. We call this apostolic succession, right? Um, but I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, right? So the church today, by her preachers, go forth with the same authority as the apostles, course we often forget that all right then jesus gives an instruction to pray verse 38 pray the lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest now we probably don't there's there's actually a twofold problem here one we don't pray that god do this work right um we do have missionary organizations that that's their focus uh elder bml would be one for the ladies but um do we pray that the lord raise up um pastors teachers musicians you know, those laborers that uh, work within the institution of his church um, to proclaim the gospel to all nations? Do we, do we pray for that? Yeah, we do here. <laughs> um, I would say there's a second, and there's a flip side to this, and I've been thinking quite a bit about um, education, um, just really for my own edification, but also um, perhaps to um, be better in providing guidance um, both for our congregation and school. And, um, and the way that... In times past, um, there was a stronger sense of mentorship. Mentorship that would be encouraging, um, encouraging young people in in godly vocations. Right? That doesn't necessarily mean work in the church, although that would be one that um, has suffered, I think, as a result of not encouraging even middle schoolers, you know, to to begin training uh, towards the vocation, and 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 maybe maybe they don't uh, or aren't interested, and they decide to back away, but. Um, which is fine, and, and pursue something else, but um, actually to captivate their their imagination to consider such a vocation at a young age. Uh, I know that that's certainly true with teachers. I think um, a lot of students aspire to be teachers because of their experience in uh, elementary and middle school, or high school, I suppose as well. Probably not college, though. <laughs> eh, who knows? And uh, But the same could be said for pastors. I know I, mean, I have some middle schoolers that uh, you know have have mentioned um, you know, just the, the light that they have in studying God's word, um, in the way that we do here, uh, where we, where we're creative and we explore, right. And we let, we delight in the word and, uh, we want to keep encouraging that. So maybe it would be appropriate then to take them under your wing and, you know, for short periods of time, maybe to do some Latin or Greek or Hebrew study, um, or specific doctrinal kind of, uh, debates, do, you know, kind of Socratic dialogue, these sorts of things, right. Mentorship. So we pray the Lord that he um, send out labors into his harvest, but that also then might compel us to make efforts in a human, you know, from a human perspective, and to provide opportunities, um, especially for young people to um, be raised or trained towards that vocation. Anyway, something I've been thinking about, uh, especially as we look at opportunities for lay people, young and old, 
to serve within the congregation is to consider places for um, mentoring um, them into adult you know service as they grow all right well anyway um, oh then uh when he called the 12 he gave them what and again we've talked about this word translated here as power in verse 1 of chapter 10 but um, it's exousia it's authority and let me just confirm that 99 percent sure that king james new king james here does it incorrectly yeah it's exousia so he gave them authority over what the same things he has authority over so he can delegate the same authority he has this is always true you can't give someone authority unless you already have it in the first place all right so when you authorize someone to do something that means that you had the authority in the first place jesus has authority over unclean spirits he authorizes his disciples um, he had authority over sickness and disease he gives that to his apostles all right so the 12 apostles now they're disciples but he sends them out so now you notice that transition verse one they're called disciples and then verse two they're called apostles <laughs> all right normally i don't think of their they're being sent until uh, matthew 28 until the ascension but uh, we have it here as well uh, we have two sets of brothers identified right simon who's always named first uh, also known as peter and andrew is his brother and then you have the sons of zebedee james and john right so simon and andrew james and john peter first and then last named is judas iscariot who also betrayed him right he tried to take the seat of honor and he is given the seat of humility right he's humbled uh right in the middle is our author right thomas and matthew the tax collector that's helpful uh what else is in there that's interesting uh simon no we talked about simon oh it's simon the uh, canaanite sometimes i think it's translated as zealot or the canaanian is that right yeah it's canaanian um yeah those are sometimes translated as as zealots uh anti-roman political group this is an anti-roman political group um but uh, there is some maybe some question as to whether that's what's being ascribed here these this group had been around since about AD 63 it was an insurgency group within uh, that was opposed to the roman occupation of palestine um but some it may, it may just be referring here to his zealotry for the gospel perhaps uh interesting they're sent but they're not sent he says do not go verse 5 into the way of the gentiles nor to the samaritans right that doesn't mean the gospel isn't for them you might say it's not for them yet right first to the jew then to the gentile right. first preach the gospel to the lost sheep of the house of israel right and then this will change in matthew 28 when he when he says go and make disciples go disciple making um, by baptizing and teaching who all nations right he gives them his their sermon which is helpful um, the sermon is go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand we've heard that before that's the same message as john and actually after his baptism same message of jesus so the kingdom of heaven is here this is probably a better way to translate that at hand is nearby no it's at it's now it's here right so when they come healing the sick casting out the demons forgiving sins in jesus name the kingdom has come right i know the literal is at hand but there you go um then jesus says something interesting verse eight freely you have received freely give what is he talking about this is connected to that authority right as they've been given authority they they give out the authority 
As they've received gifts, they give those gifts. As they've received the gifts of salvation, then they are to bestow them graciously. As uh, we say in the Catechism, without any merit or worthiness in me, freely give. Right? Um, this is why I'm always cautious in the church that we not um, give the indication that it's a quid pro quo, tit for tat, right? that you, you give in order to receive. No, you receive uh, freely, right? And we give freely uh, as we've received. We forgive as we've um, been forgiven, for example. Right? It's all a gift. No, like uh, nothing expected in return. You say, well, then how are we going to fund the church? Well, that's out of the generosity of people's hearts. I say, and out of uh, thanksgiving for, for the gift received, right? But not under obligation or, or requirement. Of course, the worker is worthy of his wages, as Jesus himself says here, right? Verse 10, for a worker is worthy of his food, right? So take care of um, those whose responsibility it is to preach the gospel, but not under compulsion, but freely. All right, to quote Paul. Uh, now, a worthy person is one, what it, think of like how Luther explains it in the um, sacrament of the altar, right? He who is worthy and well-prepared has faith in these words. So in this case, how is a worker worthy? If he does the work that he's been given to do. That is to preach the gospel freely uh, without, um, without restraint. Right? So those who, are, who hear the disciples preaching about Jesus, take up his cross and follow him, then are the worthy hearers and the worthy preachers are the ones who preach Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Uh, gift, not obligation. We give in thanksgiving. Um, that doesn't mean that the church can't ask. I think, you know, there is the ask. We do ask. Um, you know, the plates are there, or there's a note in the bulletin or whatnot. Um, I'm always careful to make sure I tell guests and visitors that they're under no obligation, um, you know, just to come and receive the gifts. But I think we all need to hear that because we don't think of we don't think of our congregational life, never mind um, the institutions of word and sacrament, as not something that we've earned or merited, or um, as something that we feel should feel obligated to, um, um, you know, it, like as an exchange of goods, some kind of um, transaction with God. No, it's freely gift. He gives over and over, um, cup running over. Uh, now, if somebody does not receive that word with generous hearts, right, that is not worthy, that is don't, doesn't receive their word in faith, then um, what are they to do? Depart from the house or city, and shake the dust off your feet. Now, this is an important sign and uh, not something to be taken lightly, right? Uh, feet are identified with the promise uh, to, well, it was actually made to Satan, but in the hearing of Adam and Eve, right? Of um, the offspring that would crush the serpent's head. Right? And that's the good news already in Genesis 3.15. Dust, on the other hand, then also part of the curse against um, the devil there in the garden is a sign of death and, and uh, judgment. And of course, dust we are and dust we shall return. Come from the earth, we go back to the earth, right? So it's, it's death. So shaking the dust off the feet is then to no longer hear the gospel, right? You've rejected the gospel, and now that leaves you in the place of death, right? And of course, Satan, who, who's in the dust, right? Crawls about on his belly eating dust, uh, then will seek to devour you. That's what that's all about. Um, so verse 15, how serious is it to reject god's word when it is preached to you it says it would actually it'll actually be worse for you <laughs> be more tolerable to be sodom and gomorrah now you know what happened to them right so this is a, a pretty serious threat of judgment um for those who reject which commandment 
has to do with the hearing of God's word? That would be the third commandment, of course. We should um, gladly hear God's word and learn it. All right. So um, that's a, this is a big job. And this, while this, they will return after a time of, of preaching here, and they'll be with Jesus again, um, this does set up, I think it is part of the apostolic mandate that will be extended then after his ascension. So um, these, now some disagree with me. I've had, I think I even had argument with professor at seminary about this, striking me that I did. Um, does this apply to the apostolic office? Is it, is it a text that belongs to the office of the holy ministry or not? Um, and I think the argument was yes. Okay. So, um, Lord of the harvest, that he send laborers into the harvest. The church is always in need of shepherds, that is, pastors, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Christ instituted the office of the holy ministry so that there would be workers in the harvest field of the world. Christians will always seek out and call faithful pastors to proclaim the word of God among them. It is to this office, not to the persons, that Christ has given the authority to forgive sins and to free men from the chains of death. This is the only authority of this office, to forgive the sins of repentant sinners and to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. It's the only authority to forgive sins. That's all he's been sent to do. Right? Whether that's through the preached word, whether it's through um, the absolving word, whether it's through baptism or through the um, distribution of the Lord's Supper, it's all for the forgiveness of sins. It is a grave sin, then, to turn one's back on the preaching of the gospel. While the gospel is preached, the preacher is worthy of his keep. Luther emphasizes this in the Table of Duties in regard to what hearers owe their pastors. Excellent. All right, let's sing our hymn for the week. Lord, to you I make confession. For your 
suffered for me, given himself to rescue me, died to save me and restore me, reconciled and set me Jesus' cross alone can vanquish These dark fears and soothless anguish Lord, on you I cast my burden Sinketh in the deepest sea let me know your grace, pardon, cleanse me from iniquity. Let your spirit leave me never, make me only yours forever. Right, another commemoration today. It's been a week of commemorations. Yesterday we had, see, what did we have in a row here? We had the prophet Jeremiah. No, we had the presentation of Augsburg Confession. Then we had the prophet Jeremiah, Cyril of Alexandria, and today Irenaeus of Lyon, France, right? Modern day France. Irenaeus, AD 130 to 200, was the hero of Polycarp, who was in turn a hero of St. John the Apostle. Irenaeus's writings, as a result, form an important witness in how the apostolic teaching shaped the church in the decades following the deaths of the apostles. According to tradition, Irenaeus was a Greek born in Smyrna, where Polycarp was bishop. He was ordained a presbyter and served in the church of what is today Lyon in France. His bishop, Pothinus, or Pothinus, excuse me, sent a letter by his hand to the Pope of Rome in AD 177 regarding the false teaching of the Montanists. While in Rome, the bishop was martyred together with many others in the persecution enacted under Emperor uh, Marcus Aurelius. Upon his return, Irenaeus was elected bishop. Following that bitter, intense persecution, the church experienced a period of relative relief. Most of Irenaeus's work as bishop and, the and theologian was carried out in that peace. He wrote a famous work, Against Heresies, uh, which uh, Pastor Riley and I uh, read on Van Book's podcast, you can go find that, uh, search for it. In it, he cataloged the corruptions of apostolic truth that had encountered or heard of most of which, uh, that he had encountered or heard of, most of which were Gnostic in origin. So that distinction of body and soul, um, false dichotomy, and also um, a transcendent knowledge that uh, exceeds that of the scriptures. One statement of Irenaeus in Against Heresies is of particular importance to the Lutheran Confession of the Lord's Supper, which is why we remember him. In Book 4, Chapter 18, he wrote, quote, For as the bread, which is produced from the earth, when it receives the invocation of God, is no longer common bread, but the Eucharist, consisting of two realities, earthly and heavenly. So also our bodies, when we receive the Eucharist, are no longer corruptible, having the hope of the resurrection to eternity. Oh, that's lovely. For as the bread which is produced from the earth when it receives the invocation of God is no longer common bread, but the Eucharist, considering of two realities, earthly and heavenly, so also our bodies, when 
they receive the Eucharist are no longer corruptible, having the hope of the resurrection to eternity. This was used polemically to refute the false teaching of transubstantiation, that the earthly elements no longer remained in the Eucharist, having been replaced by the body and blood of the Lord, and affirmed the Lutheran teaching that in the supper, the bread and wine were present together with the body and blood of Christ. When the question of the proper date to celebrate Easter rocked the early church, Irenaeus was the voice of reason. He wrote to Pope Victor at the time that, quote, diversity concerning fasting does not destroy the harmony of faith, urging him not to break fellowship with the churches in Asia Minor over the question. The Lutheran Church cites this saying of the great church father with favor in the Augsburg Confession, Article 26, Paragraph 44. Diversity concerning fasting does not destroy the harmony of the faith. Right? So when we celebrate, what feast days we celebrate when there, doesn't destroy the church. Hmm? So we don't even have to celebrate Easter on the same day. Hmm. Nothing is known about Irenaeus' death with certainty. Some hold that he died a martyr, confessing the resurrection of the body, even as he had his predecessor in office. Even as has his predecessor in office, that would be Polycarp. He was buried in the church that later was named after him in Lyon. Sadly, his grave was desecrated in disturbances of the radical Huguenots in the 16th century. We pray. Almighty God, you upheld your servant Irenaeus with strength to confess the truth against every blast of vain doctrine. By your mercy, keep us steadfast in the true faith, that in constancy we may walk in peace on the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, move my bookmark for tomorrow's Feast of St. Peter and St. Paul. All right, which we're going to celebrate tonight in divine service. Let's pray our collect for the week. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy on us that with you as our ruler and guide, we may pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God. For parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Let's see. We pray today in Thanksgiving with Natron, Nicholas, and Karen, all celebrating their new birth by water and word and baptism. Um, thanks for all the well wishes yesterday. Anna and I celebrated our anniversary. Pray for all the households of our church this week with Doug and Nicole, Wendell and Amy, Katrina, Dwayne and Pam, Dick and Milda, Dan and Liz. And pray for our catechumens. Continue to pray for those ill, receiving treatment or recovering. Dale and Pam, Joe, Kelsey, Christopher, Marcy, Brad, Gus, Eileen, Ron, Doug, Bev, Jim, Pat, Wendell, Darlene, I suppose uh, my mother Grace as well. I don't know why I neglected to include her there. Also our homebound, Marcy, Marion, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for all the missions and mercy work of the church, but also um, the work to serve our neighbors in love here in our community, especially uh, the work then of Sharon S. Richardson, Community Hospice. Continue to pray for Dasha and her family. They're struggling to find new housing. Um, and we pray for Matt's mom, Donna, continuing her treatments after a stroke. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, my desk is way, I'm right up against my shelves because I needed to make room back here so they can uh, do a pull all the lines here in a few minutes. So um, that's it for today. Well, at least for this morning, I encourage you if you're in the area to come out this evening for divine service, 6.30 p.m. Um, we'll have St. Peter and St. Paul. I actually wrote an article um, which was the beginnings of the sermon for tonight. So I'll use that and to lead us into the um, sermon. So that'll be in the local paper tomorrow. It's the sounder. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not exactly preaching there. So it's only the, the, the first part of the sermon for tonight. So um, there you go. God be with you all. Keep you safe. And we'll see you again in the morning, if not tonight. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.